All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backwards Infect. I'm Kane, as always, here with my brother Luke, talking all things awakening, trying to talk through our awakening, trying to talk through the dissolving of egos. You can uh, always reach us at Twitter at the Backwards Infect. And uh, if you want to be a little bit more lengthy, we could also do a Gmail at the Backwards Infect. How you doing, Luke? Very good. Just swell. <laughs> Just swell. Always good for a, for a Tuesday night chat. Um, I always look forward to this day and this night of the week to chit-chat about, you know, the backwards infect and how it all came to be. So, yeah, good times for sure. Did you say you want to uh, talk about love? What do we get backwards about love? Yeah, I figure, I don't know, just seeing the vision of just starting off the show with Maybe a word or a phrase or anything that before um, before I awakened or you awakened, having a total different definition of it after awakening, seeing clearly. The one I had on my mind for tonight was the word love. Um Before I awakened, the idea of love was so backwards and distorted um, and didn't I didn't really grasp you know the concept of the word. The only thing I had was what culture had taught me or what the world had taught me, what movies had taught me, what the ego had taught me. So all those things culminate into what you think the meaning of the word love means. And that meaning was more of what people would say, like falling in love or um, to a man, it's more like falling in lust or infatuation or even to not a romantic relationship. You might equate love to like, you know, saying I love you or even like an expression, which not taking anything totally away from the fact that you can't tell, you know, your loved ones that you love them. But before I awakened, it's just something that you said. So it was kind of like a pattern thing of, you know, I'm going to say I love you before you leave or, and it's more of a behavioral pattern than do we actually get the meaning of the word love. Um, So this word was one of the biggest contrasts that I had. And just back from, you know, the Bible days or religious days, when you look at the word love in the Bible, there's never one word that describes it. It's, it's always like God is love or love is patient. Love is kind. Love is never ending. Love is enduring. So it's it takes on many different meanings and aspects and behaviors that once I awakened, 
and I examined that word, it was kind of like, holy shit, there's another word that I was totally messed up in culture and world on and could really save a lot of people a lot of, I guess, a lot of heartache chasing what they think the word love actually means. Um, so once I awakened, coming into the knowledge and the wisdom of what love actually is, is more of a non-reactionary force, total opposite of passive aggression, which passive aggression, you may even try to show love if you're not awake, but inside there's still resentments or angers or so the energy is not correct. So love is to me now more of an energy force, an energy aura, an energy field around you, an energy connection to oneness um, that really never loses, really never loses in, in any battle. So now when I go back and say love is patient, love is kind, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course it is because <laughs> it all makes sense now. Because the words are like, they, they're actually in a person now. So it's not that I have to like, if it's through and through, you know, the, the behavioral pattern, patterns of before, it's not like, you know, I don't have to tell my wife I love her. I mean, she just, she sees my energy field. I mean, uh, if I go to work, I do say it, but it's not... It's not that thing where you you feel like you have to do this or say this or, or whatnot. And the same thing for my kids. I mean, I I don't have any sense of guilt if they walked out the door and I didn't tell them that I love them because, and before without awakening, you can get in those mind trips. Like, hey, I didn't tell them. No, that's pretty much a connection, and they already know that. So, I don't let myself get tied up in those type of mind games anymore, especially with loved ones or. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like how I wanted to start it off just with a word or phrase that now I see totally different and, and people that awaken, I think they would agree with me that, you know, words and meanings take on a whole different ball game. Cause then you're, you're tied to like the one wisdom that we're all supposed to be tied to. So it all kind of comes natural at that point. You'll, you can see a, like a lot of self-help threads or, um, you know, self-help gurus. And they always say in order, especially like in relationship type love or like partnership type love that you need to work on yourself and be worthy of loving yourself before you could be um, worthy of having somebody else love you. Yes. Which they're kind of on track there. Yes. I mean, I don't think they're talking about like the complete inner awakening work, but they're, they're, you're, that you have to have love to give love. Yes. Then that's what a lot of people don't have. They have emptiness. Yes. And they're not whole so that you can't give that correct love. I mean, there's, like you said you can set those ego constructs and people play the game very well and they look like you know there's some people that you would look at in the world and be like man they have their shit together they are they are 
they love themselves. They're able to love other people. And, you know, they, they may, they may be visually right there. Um, but I still think it's a miss. Like you said, you, you have to possess that love energy field in, in order to give it away. So yeah, love it. Does it feel like, does it feel like an opening to you? I, I didn't have this understanding before, but it feels almost like an opening, almost like there's a door inside, inside your heart and the awakening just kind of keeps that door open. And now you're aware of it. So that door doesn't shut. So like, you know, if you're out in the world and there's a circumstance where you can get judgmental, you just remember that door's open now and you can just be quiet and accept the situation as it is and don't have to start engaging with any of the judgmental dialogue that wants to come along. But it's all because that door is open. And I think before that door can be pretty close to shut, but you can still be on the outside, you know, maintain like a good persona and personality and be worthy of love, be worthy of like relationship status out in the world. But it doesn't have anything to do with like you actually being open on the inside to love. Correct. Yeah. The door being opened for me. Yeah. I mean, if I'm, I'll go to that door quite frequently in meditation and, and uh, feel like I get filled up by something. I mean, call it love from the universe back. I mean, it, you can't get love from, you can't get that from like a significant other first for me i found the correct order um so that door is open if whatever i need to make sure i'm whole and everything else to the proper people around me will will fold into place i mean if you have love too i mean like you said even if you've had some some things go on throughout the day but then i go you know, do a meditation for 20 minutes and access that love and, you know, feel, feel the light and feel the love of the, of the present moment. And then, you know, I'm able to be able to give that to your family. Sometimes it's not even with words. I mean, you just sit down on the couch or the evening from and your energy is just pleasant for them or anyone around you. I mean, I'm, i I'm in sales, so I'm around people all the time. So I'd like to think that my presence, I mean, it just, it's just nice to be around sometimes. And it, a lot of times it's not even because of what I say. It's just because of, I know I have something in me and it's not toxic. So you don't have that toxic energy. Like you say, there's a lot of people that appear to have their shit together, but they still could have like this toxicity flowing from them. So you can still feel that. Yeah. And when you're sitting down, like, like you were saying, and you're meditating and you're understanding your emotional state, it, it does uh, through like a good meditation and certainly like through the 
original awakening process, it really does demonstrate that there's like a range of emotions that are somehow non-existent. Like, so there's just love. Like, that's all there is. But through the filter of all your crap, it comes out in different ways. So you maintaining maintaining that filter and that authority to just remember that it's all love. But through our egos and all of our mess in life, I mean, that stuff starts going through. And I mean, you can take it in and throw it out in so many different ways that are just not helpful to anybody. Right. We we tend to overcomplicate things. Yes. But it is it is certainly one of the most powerful aspects of the awakening is just becoming clear with the idea that there's really just one emotion that's real and humming from everything. And like the more quiet and the more still that you can be to come to terms with that because that quietness and that stillness inside doesn't have the ego and the voice in the head. And as soon as that stuff isn't happening, then the emotions are damped down as well. And that quietness can just demonstrate if not like an overwhelming feeling of love right away, at least a peacefulness at least like uh, that's why they call it peace and quiet, like a nice peacefulness where you can just settle. And then that settling seems to have its own centrifugal force behind it. And it doesn't require you to do anything to ramp it up other than sit still with it. And then it slowly starts to, turn into greater and greater understanding in your heart. But you can definitely see when you're out in the world that, I mean, we take that love and there's almost like a reverse transmutation process. And we turn that into like all kinds of negative things. And then we just throw them out, throw them out into the world and watch them bounce off people and come back and hit us in the face. I mean, it's a, uh, It's amazing what we do with all that love coming in <laughs> other than just accept it. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't know without the help of the uh, Russell on that podcast um, was very spot on when he talked about, you know, sometimes you just need another person to point you to that energy or that door or, um, I, I, I don't know if I would have found it by myself. I mean, I had to have some type of mentor, um, teacher that showed me that door because I, I wouldn't have known how to accept it anyway. I mean, we, we, that's the funny thing about awakening and, and presence is it's, it is right under your nose. But the odd odd thing about it is you, it's nothing you can tap into, literally, unless you're shown. Um, and I, very few people that I know that weren't shown the door, at least by someone. Um, so even, you know, walking around, who knows, maybe I, maybe I would have, 
but but honestly, I don't think so because it's I I had to hear something from a human voice that was within that didn't resonate as if anything else. So I had to hear that contrast. I heard it from one person in my life, and I was like, oh my god, that contrast is so unlike anything I've ever heard. So that's when the trust came in to where wow. I need to find that door. That's that's the door. But if I was never shown that, I would never heard, I would have never seen that contrast. I would have never seen um that's how oddly enough being asleep is. I mean the definition of being asleep is walking outside, you walk past the trees, you do hear the birds, but it does not have the the presence effect. It's almost like it's it's weird how it's almost like locked off because I I, I would have th- thought for myself that even I had it like a seeking heart. That's why when I heard it for the first time, I was like, okay, now I'm now I'm moving forward. But I I had an open heart, I would think. So I I feel like it should have hit me like a ton of bricks from somewhere. Like I should have just saw something differently when I walked outside one day or but I couldn't. It's, it was it's like on lockdown, unless you have some like key holder that says, here's the key. It is very simple. It's not complicated, but trust me, hear it within, you hear it, and here's the door. Now go push through it or let your cards fall down right now. It really doesn't matter, but uh, it's it's astounding how under your nose it is. And love yeah. is a force that never stops. I mean, it doesn't turn off. If I go and close my eyes, I have one, not even closing my eyes, driving down the road right now, I can concentrate on the present moment. I know where that never, never ending love is coming from. But it is astounding that it's so hard to find. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when like you're listening to that Russell Brand Eckhart podcast, um, you know, Eckhart just does such a good job. I mean, he's just so disciplined and he's so on message the entire time. He is. And you try to go back and it's like the message wasn't that clear from what I can see in like other times and stuff, like it's like the most clear message of awakening that I could even imagine. And he just like, he just sits down and just spews it every time I hear him talk. He doesn't do anything else. It's just, it's amazing. And it's amazing that that message is out there. And if anybody is like trying to clarify or trying to like really get at what any of this means or what it's all about. Like that is the most perfect streamlined message that anybody could hope for. And I mean, the only reason why anybody else needs to talk is the message, the messenger doesn't work that way. I don't know why, like if it was simple and you could just hear the message and accept it, then Eckhart Tolle would wake up every person he talks to but it doesn't seem to work that way. It seems like you got to hear from different people. It seems like you, um, 
you need to hear it from like manipulative people. You need to hear it from people who are going to tell you harsh truths. And then you need to hear it from people like Eckhart Tolle, who are just going to be disciplined and on message. I don't know why it's that stubborn. And like, you need to hear it as much as you do before it can sink in. Because it's exactly what you said. I mean, you were asking me before, like, are you still Kane? And it's like, yeah, it's the, it's like almost the exact same thing. It was right here the whole time. And you just, you can't see it because you don't take that second to look. And I can see it so clearly like that. That voice in my head, that reasonable voice in my head, that voice in my head that I was proud of that did, you know, all the good things in life. I mean, that guy who knew to ask, like, why am I so angry? I mean, that's a good question. If you're angry for 48 hours, like you start asking the the question. And but all of my identity was in that question asker. All of it. Identity in the entity. And I think that's that's the point. It didn't that, even uh, dawn on me. That's the point that Eckhart made too with the ego. And we can create our own sense of false self that's actually an entity. But unlike the movies, may not be necessarily like Emily Rose or an entity that came from and went in the body. It's a self-created entity that consumes you and takes over your thought processes and, and then becomes you, your identity of Cain. You have created, you have manifested who you believe Cain to be and that becomes an entity. It's weird. If we're not lined up, if we're not in that correct form, if you don't have love, you are creating something. You're creating something as, you know, your own individual, um, God-like human. I mean, you have the ability to, to do miraculous things. And, and if you choose to build a strong entity in your body, that's what you choose to do. Well, you are the creator. You are, I mean, you are the creator of self. Yeah. So if you choose to do that, then you choose to do that. It's, it's the design is free will there. It, everybody knows it's free will. Yeah, you can't really take that away. I mean, I used to wrestle with that with like mathematics and astrophysics. I mean, listening to Sam Harris, but I mean, when you dial it down to like what you're experiencing, I mean, it's very hard to like take that free will out of it. Right. What do you, I have a bunch of questions on uh, transmutation. Okay. 
and I'm very new at this, the transmutation. So that's the experience of, you know, another emotion coming in, but now in your awakened state, like without effort, like just the energy of whatever that is, even if it's recognized at first as maybe a negative emotion, like it's almost like that recognition in itself. So that Mm self-awareness seems to automatically process that emotion on a vibration of love. So the point being like, you're not vulnerable to negative emotions the way that you used to be because they're going to come in and they're going to quickly transmutate into love. Mm -hmm. Now my most, um, tangible understanding of that was early on being startled. So I was just walking, like something came out. I wasn't prepared for it. It scared me. You say something like, Oh my gosh, I almost had a heart attack where you'll say something like, Oh, you scared me to death. Like that type of scared, like not like some kind of built up fear, like something sudden and acute that just happened. And it went in and it's almost as if there was a double flinch. So you have your physical form flinch. And then there was like a flinch on the inside. And that flinch on the inside was just like, oh, look at that huge wave of, and you want to call it fear. But before you can even say the word, it just turns into something beautiful and nice. Like it, inside the body, it doesn't happen the way it used to happen when you said you scared me to death. Or you almost gave me a heart attack. Like that sensation is not the same. I feel almost like the little girl in the interview with the vampire when she says, I want some more. Like it felt like that. Like I just wanted more of it. But my question is, that's such a like acute emotional reaction. Like that's not, that doesn't happen very often. So you don't get that experience very often. And Like there doesn't seem to be like much of a transmutation process in working with stuff like regret or anxiety or any of these like duller emotions that maybe I I know lots of people have lots of issues with them, but they do kind of plateau. They don't rise to the level of a startling fear. And so to examine those emotions and look at them, they just kind of seem to fall off and it doesn't seem like there's a big energy like reverberation from that. Like there's just not like not, not a lot of energy in those emotions or is that like a personal thing with me? No, I think with being startled as a reactionary person, all the energies uh, affect you differently being non-reactionary even when it comes to fear or being startled like that you almost have like a couple second advantage uh when you're completely right. reactionary i mean it's that energy does kind of take over your body because you have a reaction to it usually negative right right off the bat but the non-reactionary you're already like kind of separated 
from it. So you do feel it, so to speak, but it's a little uh, separated and you have a, a bit of a head start. So, I mean, it, the transmutation happens almost in, instantly and, and naturally, right? Yeah, with without effort, for sure. But my only question is, it's like that acute, that acute emotional vibration that happens specifically with fear, specifically with startled. Like, I don't see it happening in any other aspect of my life. And so it's like almost like you're walking around as if you want to be startled just to have that experience again. Only because like, I feel like I haven't even had time to practice it. Like, I just want to feel it again. But it doesn't seem to be like a mechanical response to something like, for example, anger. Like we were talking about this uh, many times already, but that anger it's almost like it doesn't have any gears. So like you see it, like you start to get angry, but when the gear starts to roll, like it's just skipping gear, like it won't catch. Like I can't. So I was kind of yeah. thinking, well, maybe I, I could like hit the bag or try to work myself up and then like transmutate the anger, but I can't even figure out how to get going. Why would you want to though? Just to, just to understand the transmutation. Because if not, then you're just waiting for like some other acute. So like an example would be like grief. Like, and nobody wants to deal with grief. So we're not hoping for grief. But there's certainly is a lot of people who have very powerful realizations and understanding through grief. But if you look at grief, like so the loss of somebody that you know, you're really close to and you love a lot, you can kind of see what happens when you're going to feel grief really, really hard, but that's not all that separated from love. So yes, you're going to feel the loss and that loss is going to hurt, but the more you feel that loss just means the more you had love. So they're like completely intertwined and they just take you down this deep, love well of loss which everybody has to deal with at some point in their life so you can kind of see like it's a different type of transmutation there where the two are just so closely tied that the more you feel one the more you'll feel another so i think i can understand like some transmutation and grief i think i can understand like um so there's it's not like i there's not systems where I think I could understand it. I just don't. Um, I don't see that like emotional source of vibration the way that I do just with fear. Is something like um, unique about fear? Like, do we just like respond and process that like super hard? Is that like something like super form based that just like causes a vibration? So you're saying that you cannot experience the fear emotion? Is that your question? No, I can experience it, but like it's very hard to like startle yourself. Mm hmm. And like anxiety would be a form of fear. 
Yep. But it's just much duller. Right. It's a very dull. It it doesn't have like any. Um, and again, maybe I'm. Maybe it goes back to like more empathic type stuff because if I feel anxiety, that's taken care of like very quickly, but there doesn't seem to be like a transmutated residue there. It's just gone. Right, right. Same thing with anger. It's like it just slips so fast. There's like no way to like build it up. And that's um that's fine but it just makes me wonder about like the transmutation process and like how do you witness it more often yeah i'm not sure i know the answer to that question i just i just think you'll know at any particular time of of whatever emotion comes in that you'll be able to handle it correctly at the time like um what do you think is going on with something like like spiritual celibacy so you have like obviously in our culture that's like mostly catholicism and that's not a good example of spiritual celibacy i mean it looks like there was so much repression of sexuality that just ended up manifesting in other ways. But in my awakened state and trying to understand transmutation, I am curious, like maybe in other cultures, so more like, you know, Himalayan monk type cultures. I mean, are they able to go completely celibate and then as that energy builds transmutate all that energy that they're getting from their biological sexual drive no there's a question <laughs> um yeah i mean that's interesting too because um after i think just just with anything whether alcohol or or anything that I think it would get less and less. I don't know if it would build after a certain amount of time other than you just stop producing. So I, I don't know how, how much that would build up after a week or two weeks, because af- after, you know, two weeks or three weeks, I, I, I just don't know if there's any, anything building up. I do understand what you're saying. And I spiritually on a, on a journey, could do nothing but I see as positive um, in terms, just from the male perspective, as you're, you're almost taking like one, one animalistic thing out of your, and going from form to non-form in a, in a spiritual way. I mean, you're, you're disconnecting from, um, which is, we're, we're pretty much the only, only being on the planet that can do that and that animals uh, don't even have the capability of sustaining from what they're meant to do but but humans can go that down the road of experiencing non-form in form so i think you're just pushing the limits of 
experiencing yourself as non-form in your form once you if you deny any anything or sustain or resist anything that your your body is um telling you to do uh, and i i'm not speaking from experience because i i've never tried this or but it just me well we're not in a position where we can i mean it, that's one, one of the reasons for the question i mean you both married men i mean it's part of your relationship i mean it's not an option at this point well, I mean, it could be an option for, I mean, the married couple may decide to do that for a year to see what it does spiritually. I mean, just because you're married doesn't mean that it couldn't be an option. It could very well be an option just if two people were on the same page and they wanted to see where that took them spiritually. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I didn't mean it like that. It's always an option. I'm just mean more, more like two of us personally, like right. just, I got you. you know. Yep in terms of it serving as um, such a purpose in the relationship. But it, it did make me wonder like that sexual energy, if it was completely repressed, like would that repression hold? And you, that's kind of how you open you. You said maybe it would hold, but I'm just saying maybe it wouldn't, maybe that repression doesn't hold. And so you get a constant flood of desire that wants to like come all the way up into your head to get to the point of fantasy. Mm. But if you could hold that down and now just at that point without effort, because all you're doing is denying it in your head, right? Like, is that going to create some kind of perpetual motion transmutation system? And then we go visit you in the Himalayas and you're like on top of a mountain and you're glowing. I think there's a pathway there for sure. I mean, I, I can see that clearly just with, for a man, that's one of the, I guess, one of the most disciplined things that you could do would be able to resist the, I mean, the, the thoughts are, you know, after a certain amount of time, things creeping up in your head or visuals or anything like that. It's the ultimate um, I think you're talking about some type of ultimate transmutation, transmutation that um, should probably happen sometime in your life. And we talked about, you know, at some point, whether, you know, I'm 42, you're middle 40s, I don't know, 50 or 60. I think at some point you flip the switch and you go that direction. Because at some point, physical interactions with your wife. I mean, I've been married to my wife for 20 years now. At some point, you go to another level in that relationship and singul singularity, too, um, for the ultimate experience. That's just how I see it as you get older. It's not like you didn't enjoy a, a great sex life for 30 years. Um, but I think you're onto something as a, as a goal and a, um, another level of what you could go to in say 10 years. Um, do you think it would work the same way with 
hunger. So, I mean, there's definitely some fasting that happens in our culture. I think it's probably taken more seriously in a couple other cultures. But would that have, so that would just create, like when you get hungry, like it's pretty hard to stop thinking about food. Like if you get real hungry, I mean, that definitely starts to override like a cranky thought process of I need food. Like that definitely creates some kind of vibration in the body. So, yeah, this is, this is another interesting hypothetical, I guess too. Um, but I have dabbled in, um, first of all, every day I do 16, eight, I was, I did that as a kid and I thought I wasn't normal. So I tried to eat breakfast, but I never wanted to eat breakfast. But um, every day, sixteen eight. I don't always stick to the to the best of diets I'm at. But in that sixteen eight period, I only eat from the eight hours. So I usually do not eat until no earlier than twelve every day, and then I don't eat anything after eight o'clock. That never changes. No matter what my diet is, I know that I could say, okay, I'm going to stick to the 16-8. And then in the morning, there are times where at 9 o'clock on Saturdays, and I'm like, God, dang, I'm starving. Let's, let's go get, like, egg breakfast. And I never do it. I never do it. Even if, you know, they get coffee or donuts or anything, I always stick to the 16-8. And that's been my process for the last six months. I got that from Joe Rogan. It's something I knew that I could do, you know, whether I was dieting or not dieting, how strict my diet was, how not strict it is, because I got to a certain weight that I wanted to stick to, which I'm under, and I know I can keep it there with a 16-8, and I can still have, you know, treats here and there with the family inside that 12-8, to but the interesting thing, you're talking about going more than that, I have dabbled in the 16, eight, and then every, so can I stop you real quick though? Wait, what's the, where are you spiritually at your best at 1145 or at 1215? I mean, I would have, so when you're hungry, are you at your best? Or if you just ate, are you at your best? So at 1145, I'm definitely at my best because that hunger is, I'm, I'm, my body is so used to it. So I'll be hungry, but it's second nature. I mean, I'm definitely on my wits more as soon as I eat. I mean, I'm going to get, I'm going to get more lethargic and I mean, that's how I thought it was. You were going to answer. I just wanted to clarify. Now I have, uh, so I have dabbled in, it got to be a pattern on Thursday where I went past lunch. So I did a 16, eight every day and Thursday with my job, it got to a point where I have this meeting at 12 and it's really busy so and and it's like a nicer restaurant so you don't eat you know like a fancy lunch every thursday so and i'm usually busy it's my biggest customer so i always uh i'm in there for like two hours every thursday from 12 to 2 so i got in this habit of okay i'm gonna be here i'm just gonna order a water talk to the chef we're gonna do our business and i'm not gonna eat and then by the time i left it was two and i hadn't eaten and i said well like three or four Thursdays in a row, just go to dinner. And that is, that's the, that's a difficult 
one, you've already gone 16. So basically you're doing a full 24 because I don't eat until dinner time again. I just, you know, went another six hours and I, I mean, I feel fine. It's not to the point of like, especially with my mindset. Now, if I wouldn't have been awakened or anything, or if I don't have the training with my thoughts, I would be like in a very bad mood coming home. Like you shouldn't come home, like not eating all day because you're, you're going to be probably pretty reactive and hangry and you know, where's dinner, but no, I I can do it and not have any effect on me behaviorally or anything like that when I come home. So I have total control over that. Pushing it past that. When you're talking about, I've wanted to dabble in like a two day fast or maybe a three day fast and see what it does. But I did want to bring up the interesting fact of that naked and and afraid that show where they go. Have Have you ever seen that show? Yeah. So they do the 14 day or the 21 day. And what I do find interesting is sometimes there's, it's usually a male. I don't know if I've seen a female go off the deep end, but there's been two or three times where the thoughts got so bad on a male from lack of food that they had to remove them from the show. Like it became too dangerous. There was one guy that started having demonic thoughts. I don't know if you've seen this episode, but, the thoughts got so disturbing to where he let the producers know that he was thinking about harming himself or possibly his partner and they pulled him from the game. Now that's in the height of, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight days without. So something happens to some people after a certain amount of time without food could have to do with dehydration as well. But most of those people out there, they don't last more than a day if they don't get water. So most of them have water. So it has to do with the lack of food where there is a point where people start to go crazy because they cannot control their thought and they're, they get evil, evil thoughts and they can't be objective to them anymore. That kind of like, there's the um, example of a hunger strike which you see sometimes happen in jails and stuff. And that's normally like something that like they've set their mind to, and they're being super stubborn about it. They could be totally justified because it's probably like poor conditions and stuff like hunger strikes, kind of like somebody that doesn't have a lot of power using it as a last resort. So I don't mean to talk down to them, but it's just a, uh, another example of like that, that wits end, like the last thing I can do, that stubborn thing I can do is just like, I choose if I eat or not, not you. And then where does that go? Like normally once somebody gets to that point, they seem to be able to push it for a pretty good ways. I mean, Jesus was 40 days, 40 nights, right? Fasting? I think so. Maybe I'm wrong. Was that- Wasn't that like right before they took him? I mean, he was 40 days and 40 nights like in the, the desert. What was the 40 days, 40 nights? Was that the flood? No, I, just, I thought it was Jesus, but I could be wrong. Didn't it rain for 40 days and 40 nights? 
Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Are you you mistaken there? From the Noah? It could be. Fact check. So. I'm sure he did some fasting. Is it. You think it ever gets dangerous in like like a really spiritual, disciplined environment, fasting? Like, could the transmutation process be like so legit that you like don't even care about eating anymore? And somebody's got to like come and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, dude, get some food now. You look like a bone. I mean, I guess it could. But in our position, I mean after a certain point for my brain to to function as far as regular tasks i would have to you know you'd have to put something in your body i mean if you were on vacation or not working for a couple weeks and you wanted to dabble in that i mean i guess it could get to that point but again the situation that me or you are in i mean you have to eat after a certain amount of time just so we can perform tasks yeah, I wouldn't be worried about it for me. It just makes me wonder. I mean, you've you have examples of like self-emulation and then uh just makes me curious. Like I wonder how far some people push like the spiritual fasting element. And it seems like it would be I mean, just the fact that we're kind of on the trail of it like really affecting people in the negative. Like that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of Like if there's like a really hard push of energy coming from like your primal system that's telling you like this is biological life and death. And then you're taking that whole deep rooted biological drive and you're effortlessly transmuting that into love. It's like so is or does it work that way? Because I mean, is hunger an emotion? Like, as, does hunger transmutate in that same way? Only speaking from doing it for a day, maybe I did it in two days. Um, I can't relate it directly to an emotion, no. Yeah, I don't think I, I can either. Relate it to pain. being able to resist your pain threshold of, uh, you know, I mean, it's just a direct signal from your stomach to your brain saying eat and you're denying that for the longer. Which could cause irritation. Well, yeah. I mean, the pain could cause irritation if you react to it as far as emotion. Yeah. But yeah, the transmuting of the irritation could happen yeah. but actual hunger pain i mean but you're going to have some 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 things like you said like irritation that are going to creep in that you're you're transmuting um is that is that the more powerful thing that you may be talking about but it definitely doesn't happen within a day i mean you'd have to probably go 3 days for you to do some serious work like that um because it doesn't get a ba- bad enough in one day. One day you'd be able to do it no find without anything. You'd, you'd be able to overlook, I think, for 24 hours, no problem. 
you'd have to get into probably day three before you start seeing some serious um, activity, I would think. So out of out of the emotions, does it seem like fear um, kind of sits by itself? Like I, I feel like, again, we're we're already to the point where everything is love. But there's something that the form does in terms of its processing with fear that seems like it rivals all the other emotions. Like we were talking about sleep paralysis and then you have the, the ultimate manifestation of your own paralysis and form caused by your reactions to fear. I mean, that's obviously like a very tangible locked down understanding of fear. And then it's like, how far does that go? Like we, we do say like, I almost had a heart attack. We do say you nearly scared me to death. I mean, can't people die of fear, right? Yeah, the ultimate, um, I mean, I guess fear taken far enough is shock and the shock kills you. Take someone who jumps off a building, you're at the height of fear and halfway down, you usually die because the fear turns into shock and your body can't handle it. Yeah. Fear goes to shock at some point fear goes to shock i guess and sleep paralysis because it's gone so far to where you've gotten some kind of shock that i mean that that's that's what i it's it's destabilized you um that's the only time it's been pushed so far for me is when you're asleep and then you wake up in sleep paralysis but i think fear in general has so many different levels because you i mean you can take i mean just me and as an example i mean a man you have a you have a general sense of a fear fear of failure you have a general sense of a fear of um let me just seems like things that could ride with you all the time not necessarily like frightening fear you know a man seems like he has all a range of 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 fears, not just a lot of generalities and fear with your job. And, um, it has a very dull component to it. Yeah. yeah, That's that's a good way to put it. I mean, there could be a dull fear that you kind of live with. I, I, I couldn't tell you that I, I, I don't necessarily not have a dull fear that's always in me that, Oh, what if you lost your job? I mean, you you it's almost like that's just the practical fear that you have to yeah it's like the practical fear that has to be in me so i can motivate myself so i can't lose my job i gotta go do this and make this sale right but then on the yin and yang yeah and then on the extreme end though like that fear is does seem like it sits in a in a different category than the other emotions, because it does have that extreme end. That's just complete paralysis 
And like we just said, like, why do we say scared me to death? Why do we say, geez, you almost gave me a heart attack? I think we say that because like it has a history of going that far with people. And then like, so what other emotion, like, is it the strongest expression of emotion in form? Because anger certainly causes like a lot of problems, causes a lot of issues, causes a lot of um, destruction, but it doesn't seem to like shut somebody down internally the same way. No, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, pretty spot on. I mean, I was trying to think of an example where someone was shut down from anger, but I mean, the I anger mean it's possible to get, get shut down from anger. Yeah. It gets very destructive and you could get shut down by anger, but when you're getting shut down by anger, you're just afraid of what you're going to do yourself. So you just start mixing those two emotions yeah. where it's shut down. It's, um, but it, it just makes me wonder, like with the transmutation process, I'm, part of me is still like looking for boundaries of things, I think. And it looks like fear is just going to be in this special spot. And nothing is going to be like as transmutatable as fear is like, so it kind of like sits alone. So, I mean, in terms of like you and I and the understanding of presence, that would just mean super careful going to bed at night, super careful when you're waking up, get that awareness right away. Cause you never know, like that's going to be the time where you will be challenged with transmutation like those. T- Cause I mean, that's the only time I'm really overwhelmed by fear. You get like that startling thing. And like the only shot is like some kind of nightmare or something. Yeah. To get that kind of level of fear. Yeah. Right. Which would just make, which just means that, you know, it it just helps you with your discipline of, you know, going to sleep every night and um, making sure you stay sacred and disciplined with that process. But it does seem like there's, like some kind of weird boundary there that did you ever like uh, read Stephen King's it? Did you ever see that movie? That's all the first one. Yeah. So it's like a machine that creates fear. They call it the deadlights. But it, you imagine it now, it's like, man, if there was a fear machine, 
that you could just sit in front of that just put fear in you. I mean, that's what it did. Like the deadlights that Stephen, the clown, that thing, that's what it did. It put fear in people all the way to paralysis and beyond. But when you start to understand it now, it's like, oh my gosh, like that fear would be met with love in an internal process. And then it's like, well, how, how big does that go? And then of course that answer is easy. Like it goes as big as you want it to go. I mean, as much as that machine can push fear in, I can handle all of it with all the love behind me, pushing back out. Like, because what's coming behind me is infinite. So whatever this machine is, whatever the deadlights are, it's not bigger than everything. And then, you know, it doesn't out of, out of everything in that hypothetical, your form is like the most is a thing that's least stable. And then it almost looks like a supernova or something where if it just kept pushing, like, would you eventually just crack and you're like, just like splitting the atom, you've split the soul from the form. And somebody called Neil deGrasse Tyson because I just figured out what a supernova is. <laughs> Deja vu. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I can definitely see something happening. If you could hook a machine up to presence, you definitely see something. Because um, Elon Musk has that neuro link. So, I mean, we've talked about it before. The first thing I said when it's like, because he was on Rogan, he's saying that you're going to be able to save states. So save a state of emotional being. Like you'll be able to be like all high and good and then hit that button record and then be able to play that back. So... When I first heard it, I was like, this is going to be gross because there's going to be all kinds of old guys out of the mall, like right on the edge of orgasm all the time. Like that was my first thought when he said that you could save states. <laughs> but now <laughs> I'm like, if this thing could startle you and charge you with fear, like whenever you want, and you could just, without any effort, transmutate that fear like what is that at that point like does every spiritual person have like this little neurolink fear starter that they walk around with all the time yeah the safe state thing is definitely interesting golly man it seems like cheating at that point i don't know how. i know doesn't it i don't i mean it does i, I think there's a lot of positive things that can come from that work the brain injuries obviously being able to fix any brain injury is a plus but when you start doing it to circumvent the whole growth process i don't i don't know how that's a good thing because might as well just put us all in the safe state of the present moment and then a new earth. Here we go. That's it. 
make sure we give that to Putin and and President. Yeah, if you could play somebody else's state. Huh? Yeah. If you could play somebody else's state. But if it's only you can save only a state that you've had for yourself. Yeah, you have to think, though, that there would be almost like mushrooms, like if you get to the point of that kind of technology, that there's going to be some sort of state where the thoughts are, are, are the ego thoughts are not going to consume you. So it's almost like fabricating an awakening a, a state. Yeah. You have to think that there would be a way to, I mean, with that kind of technology, um, it's the best case scenario. It's the best case scenario because if you want if you want to save a state to where but then again that's it's it's horrible too because it's almost like okay, I'm going to put you in god mode all the time. They're like who if you just flip the switch and you said you're in god mode 24/7. There is no growth. You're just constantly uh, you're in a state of bliss all the time, but there is no There's no growth. You might as well just say no form and go to the, you know, go on to the formless at that point. Because there's no growth. There's no growth anymore. As soon as you can flip that switch. Elon is a uh, interesting figure. I mean, I, I think at times that I can't believe we have the richest man in the world who's so selfless and seems to be so awake. And there's only one man on planet earth who would use his money for the good of the freedom of speech other than Elon Musk, uh, attempting to buy Twitter. I mean, that's, that's, that's so telling to me because I, 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 I believe him and I see what I believe to be, him being led to to own this so that it can continue as as not a the entity of controlling people that just want to speak their mind and it's it's a bad thing when you start to silence people but then this thing comes along and and although i love it for medical reasons the safe state thing just seems like a really really bad idea I mean, it seems like a really bad idea. And I, I don't, I've never heard, I've heard him talk about the brain injury. I'd have to hear him talk in detail of what his goal is on that because I'm not, I'm not completely sold on, on, on Elon Musk as far as what, what rabbit hole he wants to go down with this. Cause there surely is a lot of good that, I mean, people get a brain injury and if you could put a chip in and retrain that brain, you're going to fix a, a lot of, um, a lot of people because you you can't i mean my wife's uh sister has a brain injury you can put a chip in it and all of a sudden fix the chemicals in the brain and she's normal i mean that that's that's a beautiful thing but it gets a little when you start talking about safe states because we can't have i mean it's almost like we're getting the cheat codes you we seriously turn into a video game and and everyone got the cheat codes. And then in the beginning, only the rich people are going to have the cheat codes. It's not like regular middle-class people are going to have. Um, and that, that was one of the things I think uh, the hangups with Joe Rogan is you're, 
we're talking about super rich billionaires. They're going to get the cheat codes first, right? So the advantage of that is astronomical. Like it's not even like it can't it can't even get to the level of being fair because the head start and advantage of that is not it's not going to be able to be afforded by the regular population. So by the time it gets to the middle class, you might have like supermen who rule the world. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of problems that I see with it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, there's something about it. Like, uh, just thinking about it. I'm just, I can't quite get like, if that machine could send fear and you just sit there and transmute it all the time. Like we talk about like, you know, frequency and vibration. I mean, you would just be humming all the time. And it's like, you would be like a button away from, going right back into it again. Yeah. It almost seems like, um, in some ways I can't find anything wrong with it. And, but I also have like this little tickle of a warning that, you know, that's just not supposed to be that way, but you you don't know if that is just, like our inability to look past, you know, all the conditioning that we've had to get us to this point. I mean, so much of, you know, moving forward is technological process and so much of moving forward is taking advantage advantage of the tools that help us move forward. And then, you know, you look back and you see the pyramids and you're like, I don't know. Maybe they figured out save states. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were just, I mean, they called themselves gods. I mean, the pharaohs, I mean, that was the language they were using, which kind of means something different to me now as well. Like, I don't look at them calling themselves God and like automatically go to like this egotistical thing the way I used to before. And you have like all these weird things where it like, sometimes it looks like we might've been more in the past than what we are now. And like any of the tools that come up in our life might just be the natural process. Like any tool that's like in your lap tomorrow, maybe it's just supposed to be there. And then, like, how do you navigate that space when, I mean, for somebody like you and I, that's completely awake, and that's just going to be a system to just enhance your vibration at will. And we're supposed to, like, make a human argument that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. It's definitely a little bit of a devil's advocate coming at you there, but 
Yeah, so it does seem a little bit more confusing than open and shut case. Yeah, there's so many different hypotheticals that you can put out there too. Like if everyone was in the state of bliss, would the state of bliss be the same right now? Would that still be the same state of bliss? Would it be a, a different state of bliss? Um, I mean, I see things now because of the contrast. You know, I deal with angry people or overreactive people. So there's constantly tests going on, constant um, things to be objective to, constantly things to be uh, non-reactionary to. So if everyone's in the love state, I guess that's the goal of the new earth, but I, 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 it being fabricated like that, I can't see it. I, the, the pyramids are interesting though, but I, I don't even know if a safe state, if that's the, what gets us there. I mean, it's all those like altered timeline theory. So, I mean, yeah. And right now we see everything through the contrast, but like if you altered the timeline and you have like enough awake people and you get like this consistent state of bliss, does that start to like actually transform the surface of the earth to look something more like, you know, that small little section of the pyramids? I mean, do we start transforming the entire earth to something beautiful? And yeah, the contrast isn't there, but like the manifestation just grows all around us in bliss. No doubt about that. The, the bliss, putting it that way. Um, I could definitely see a new earth as as something that, I mean, you're talking about collective humming now. You're yeah. about collective vibrations you know, me or we know what the the benefits and the factors are just in our small little worlds of the correct vibration. You might turn the trees to crystals or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we turn this place into like a heavenly, there's things I notice that are different now than when I was a kid. And maybe it has to do with it being hotter, but I notice things just just uh, looking at uh, the woods in general, and it seems like, and I don't know how it is up there in New Hampshire. You may have a better view of of like nature and trees, but you know you see tree lines that you, you're driving down an interstate, and and you look into the forest, or you you look. It seems like the underbrush, the growth, like it's everything's so overgrown now. And when I look at it, I don't see like natural, um, thin, thin out of it. And and it seemed like when I was a kid, there used to be like natural, like you look into a forest and you saw some, some natural thinning, but now it looks like a forest looks like you can't walk into any forest. They all look so freaking overgrown with not just the trees, but the underbrush, the weeds, the yeah, and I wonder if that has to do with it just being more hotter, like the the weeds and smaller plants are growing up too. But there's it's there's greenification theories. They call it greenification from the CO two. I mean, there's people who talk about it. I don't know if it's legit or not, but I mean, it, 
makes sense from a certain point of view. Well, I've never read anything about that. And I just had that observation of just just looking out into woods in general. I mean, I remember when we were kids, you could go into the woods and I mean, there was brush, but typically it was thinned out. Now, I bet you if you went back there, like you probably couldn't even go two feet in it. Like it's yeah, that stark of a difference that I'm seeing with just when I look in objectively at, at trees and Yeah, I've definitely noticed like some areas and when you're paying attention to the trees, they just look strangled. They look, um, yeah. I mean, you know, everything's viable for, you know, the same stuff and the the trees just look like they're being overrun from the bottom up. Yeah. They look like they're being attacked by everything around them. They don't look like they have their own space. Yeah. And it seems like when I was a kid, things look like they had their own space now yeah. it seems like they're just being overrun and it's 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 odd like everything's fighting for in the tree world like everything's fighting for real estate it looks like yeah yeah i, I definitely can see that could be really noticeable up there i mean oh I, yeah there's some pretty intense views up there yeah ours is more interesting just because you get the um huge contrast so like that system that you're talking about is very noticeable right now but then it like almost completely reverses itself like by january like all that underbrush takes a beating and it doesn't survive the winter very well at all. So not only in terms of up here versus down there, I mean, that seasonal influx of it. So it'll all be gone. And then like the way it comes back though is amazing. Like, you you know, you'll have some residual stuff left over, like dead and stuff still hanging on the trees. And then, I mean, by the time next spring comes, yeah, it just takes all back over again and maybe that's it here the seasons i mean it feels more like florida now here in georgia than it than it did when i first moved here and the um seasons seem to be a little less and less well you you have way more seasons up there to where you have the natural rebirth every year Okay, I'm going to give you a homework project for next week. I never did my homework in school, so. Well, this, (laughs) I'm telling you right now, I need a commitment from you to do this one thing. Okay, I mean, I was just joking. I was going to do it anyway. (laughs) You have to watch V for Vendetta. V, it's a movie. V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta. And what is it on? HBO. Okay. 
So I watched it last night. Um, I have a like a quasi list of movies in my head that I mean, so I it was only May when I found myself in this new position. So as I'm coming to grips myself and getting back into entertainment and stuff, I have a whole list of movies that I'm like, oh, I bet that movie is gonna be good now. And V for Vendetta is a movie about a forced awakening. No way. It is. um, I knew to go back to this movie. I knew enough that I wanted to go back to this movie. Like all the stuff that we've been theorizing, like what do you need to do to accomplish a forced awakening? This movie is about a forced awakening. And then, and how they so the movie. It? You want me to tell you, or uh, you want to I mean, just see the movie? No, I mean, well, I'm going to watch the movie anyway. But I mean, if it's going to spoil the movie, no, I don't want you to tell me. Yeah, you should probably just watch it. But the other crazy part about this is the movie's over, and I had no idea. And it started the credits screenplay written by the Wachowski brothers. I had no idea when I started it. So the same guy that wrote the matrix, the same dudes that wrote the matrix wrote this movie. And it's about a forced awakening. Shut the front door. I know. (laughs) Tell me about it. Are you kidding? When was this? When was it wrote before the matrix or after the matrix? (sighs) I'd have to look it up. I, it's pretty close to the, around the same time, though. I bet V for Vendetta was probably after, but not by very much. Yeah, because but it's just you can make you can make an argument that the Matrix was was made to try to force awakenings. Because I've always seen the Matrix as, of course, I I I saw the Matrix after. I had my own awakening. So my viewpoint of the matrix was, Oh my God, someone's trying to show people how to wake up. But I'm curious to, you know, was the whole goal of the movie, the matrix. Cause when you talk about the matrix, I don't want to get into it. Finish your thoughts. <laughs> I'll go down a rabbit hole. on that. If I no, I'm, I'm good. I actually, that's all I, I, I just, so I just saw this last night. It hit me super hard. I was going to text you, but I'm just like, I'll talk to him on the podcast tomorrow. So I was saving it for like a little bit of a reveal for you. You have to watch the movie. It's about a forced awakening and it's written by the Wachowski brothers, which is amazing because obviously they're the ones who wrote the matrix yep. and that's you and I have talked so much about the matrix ever since it came out. And it's so interesting for me because we were actually talking about it in a very similar way, but we had completely different understandings of that movie. And after I awakened, I watched that movie again, and it was like watching the movie for the first time. But you were always watching that movie on that level. I was drawn to it myself pretty much like as intensely as you were. But I was just 
processing that whole thing in a different way. And it's so the contrast of the matrix before the awakening and after the awakening, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's a contrast that's on the level of like all the other stuff that we talk about, like love and judgment. And I mean, you totally see that movie in a completely different way now, but I'm so like, how were we ever talking about that movie as much as we were? That's what I don't understand. Like you talk about it, like being right under your nose, like, my gosh, we were talking all over it and it never dawned on me that that movie was about an awakening. Not once. Yeah. Um, So I'll just give you the view of, for the listeners, I know we talked about it before, but I just feel the need to explain how I viewed the matrix after awakening and how, because I've, I've talked to people uh, about the matrix before and some people, you know, say, Oh, that's one of my favorite movies. And you're like, ah, I didn't get that movie. I'm like, okay. I don't have time to explain, but I'm on a podcast now. So I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, the matrix, I became I guess you'd say pretty much my favorite movie based on the concept that um, you watch Neo from the very beginning. You have a knock, knock on his computer screen. He's been seeking something his whole life. He gets his knock, knock moment. Then he gets a knock on the door. Then he gets a symbol to follow. So his, you know, his intuition kicks in to follow the signs that he's seeing. Signs for me play a vital role in my day to day, um, even after I have awakening. So he gets his sign. So he's got two choices. He trusts his intuition and moves forward, knowing what behind him has always been. And, and he begins to move forward. And then he gets to the ultimate source, the ultimate person that they take him to the key to the door Morpheus. And he gives them the option of, do you want to take the red pill or the blue pill? And it's such a, that scene to me, the matrix that, you know, he has a five minute speech there, I think, but he gives the person the option. Here's the door, blue pill, red pill, knowing what is, his, he's been searching his whole life, so he decides to take the red pill, obviously. And in doing so, he's taken out of the matrix of his mind the false reality that he's pulled over his eyes, that he's the false entity that he's built, the matrix all around him, which he's always seen, but he's never seen the real world. So they give him the red pill to show him the real world and how far the rabbit hole goes. And after discovering in the beginning, for me, I can relate to it because in the beginning, there's a lot of pain. So they did show him the real world, but it was very painful in the beginning. But he had to understand who he was through the movie. And towards the end, he understood like there should be no fear. 
There should be no obstacles. There should be no um, effort. Effort. Exactly. He was thinking too much. Even like when he wanted to make the jump in the building, he was thinking logically. He had to let it go. He had to let go of everything to um, find out who Neo was. And in the end, it was very, you know, beautiful because it, it didn't even like the agent jumping into him. I mean, fear, anger, it didn't matter. Even if you put a bullet in his chest, it's going to be trans transmuted. So, um, he finds himself to the total degree from the guy that showed him the door. So it's always been like super symbolic. Um, the whole from start to finish as an awakening. And then as I, I related to the last matrix, the one that just came out because you have, you know, times in your life that you go dormant or, you know, you, almost like, I just want to, he he's being prescribed a blue pill just so he doesn't have to see anymore. But ultimately always knowing his intuition never leaves him and it just becoming this journey to to get back to oneness again. So the last movie was kind of full circle as well. Um so yeah, that's why I've always liked The Matrix. It's like the this is a crazy crazy awakening story from all the people that played the role and getting him to the door and, and, and show, even showing how the matrix is made and just so spot on as far as how, how it's portrayed in the movie, even down to, um, you know, the machines seek and destroy as far as thoughts that in the stillness, them not having any control, but, if you give them just the smallest inch, I mean, you could just be annihilated in a second. So every, everything in the movie, those brothers, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal the way it was written. I've always looked at it that way. Like, golly, these guys have got to be like awake and they're looking for these unique ways to write movies. And now you're telling me about another movie. I have no idea about. <laughs> I know. Writers. I think I've I know heard of that before. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. I guess that's what the next podcast will be about. Is it enough to talk about for a. And it'll be a lot to talk about for sure. Um, yeah. It's so interesting because we talked about the matrix for 20 years. I mean, cause it was my favorite movie as well. And I was just always relating it so hard to simulation theory. Like the first time I saw it, I mean, I was, I was very humbled by like the, I just seeing it on screen. I mean, I think we had even gone over simulation theory before, but I mean, the matrix just made simulation theory, um, so much more mainstream. And then once you see it, it's like, oh my gosh. Because when we were kids, I mean, we were playing Atari. We were playing Atari and like our whole lives, like we've, we've seen like the video games and the CGI and the technology and how much has grown. And now you're on the edge of VR and it's like, there's just a progression that it doesn't take a profit to understand. Like 
at some point they are going to be able to simulate a reality that will be good enough that it'll trick you. And then you're kind of just stuck with the question at that point. Well, then how do you know you're not in that reality now? Mm, So for me, it was always like a philosophical, a wonderful philosophical ego trap that the matrix laid. And it's, and that's what it did for me. I mean, it just took me down this never ending loop of, but in reality, you work asleep. People are in the matrix. Yeah. I'm not arguing with your assessment of the movie at all. Like you're, it's a waking up movie. I'm just saying, like I never saw it on that level, Yeah, but it's so, it's so crazy that people are relating to that movie in such different ways. And we know that's 100% true because it's you and me. Like I was relating to it on a totally different level than the way you were relating to it. And it wasn't until after the fact that I was like, oh my gosh, this is a waking up story. Like the whole persona of Neo, like as he moves around and he's completely Mm -hmm. not reactionary. Yeah, that's completely calm the entire time. Like after he turns, like that's his whole deal. And I mean, yeah. And after I woke up, I mean, I love it now. I love watching it. I'm, you turned into Neo. Scene... <laughs> oh, you yeah. told me that on the phone same day. Yeah, yeah, because you could see it clearly after after the fact. And yeah, because we used to play around where I used to always give you the title of Neo, and I would play the uh, part of Agent Smith just as you know the antagon the antagonist and even that like the scene from the second movie where smith confronts neo again for the first time and smith is asking him do you understand our connection yet and of course Neo and his non-reaction state is always so beautiful because every once in a while he does answer the question, but all he does is speak truth. He doesn't, he never answers Smith emotionally. And Smith says, something happened. Some of your code must have been copied on to me. So he's telling Neo, you did good, son, but I'm the ego. I'm taking the ride with you. I'm going in deep too. And then Neo sticks around and it ends up being that big fight scene. And Neo starts to realize like the monster that he's created with his own ego. And none of those fights with Agent Smith ever end with like overpowering. It's always Neo either in that specific fight, he flies away. And then in the end, he just totally accepts and submits to the present. Yep. That's that's Neo superpower every time. Just going quiet and accepting what's happening. 
I mean, yes. on the awakened level, it's amazing. It's so symbolic. And so when you watch the movie, especially the, the last scene, you're right. When he turned around, I mean, they his calmness was overwhelming. And it was yeah. so telling. Like, that was the... And it, it's crazy, too, because that was the moment they showed you. Like, th- that, that was the moment he died. Yes. Like, that was the moment he took a bullet in his chest. Like, he woke yes. up from death. Yes. That, they were showing the wake up from death, from the ego death, right there. Yes. It was remarkable. So, yeah, I mean, you were talking, we are definitely the generation, we are the technology babies. We grew up with technology, Atari. I mean, anyone who, who, who grows up with Atari as their first set and is in their mid forties and where they are now, only people in their mid forties. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. The first set was the first set ever. Yeah. And now it's where it is now and by the time we die from the time that we were kids to the time that we die is going to be the most remarkable 80 years as far as technology goes because it's not done yet and now we're spiraling like faster and faster so the next five ten years is going to be crazy and then the next 20 years is going to be insane so you it's pretty uh pretty crazy to be a technology baby like like we are um and even to when we were teenagers i mean technology from when we were a kid to just like 15 from like 7 to 15 was remarkable yeah and now it's on a whole nother level We'll definitely be able to have a podcast in probably the same room without being in the same room while we're still alive. That'll definitely happen. Yeah. That will definitely happen. No, 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 no. No, in the metaverse. We'll be sitting at a table. You'll be Kane, your animated self. I'll be Luke, my animated self. And then any guest we'll have across the table that'll be, you know, so-and-so, their animated self. And we can, like have a conversation right there and then we can see the whole transmutation of the demon coming out in the animated self we'll be able to we'll be able to see the anger right in the body and we'll just reach our hand in there and just pluck it out yep <laughs> that's coming really soon we're talking about that like next five years to where we'll actually be able to do like a metaverse type podcast yeah. Actually, it'd probably be really cool because, I mean, technology is going to do a lot of good. And that, I mean, we'll basically be able to be in a room with a guest right there. So that that's that's the good part. I look forward to that because, I mean, we're, we are not far off from that day. Yeah. Yeah, the technology thing is interesting. I, I mean, I've always, I always thought Michael Crichton was on to something. I always thought Jurassic Jurassic Park was kind of asking the right questions. It's like you're just pushing so fast with this stuff, and like nobody even pauses 
for a moment to think about the ethics. I mean, it's almost a, I mean, it's the number one thing you can point to, like, like totally was actually just talking about this where, you know, those collective systems of intelligence and that stuff that we marvel about ourselves. ends up causing a lot of problems. I mean, he always uses, you know, the atom bomb and chemical weapons. I mean, why were these things ever invented? I mean, of course we know why, but I mean, it's it definitely points to like the driving force in technology and invention not necessarily being an awake force. Because there's not a lot of wisdom that goes into a lot of these new concepts. Which means we're just going to be in for a nice ride of challenges moving forward. <laughs> if if we were born here for challenges, we're going to get them. What was the, I think there's a documentary back in the day that you suggested I watch and I might have watched it. Um it might have been called Singularity. That's what pops out. Yeah. And that was the documentary of there's a point in time that's going to come to where we don't recognize the difference between reality and um, technology, I guess. Or, I mean, the real world from, I mean, pretty much like a matrix. For instance, we know the metaverse is coming, so the metaverse gets popular in 10 years, we get to a point where we don't know the difference between the metaverse and like what our reality is. And then once we get to that point where it's kind of bad for, I mean, because we just become um, just like in the movie in the matrix. I mean, you're sit, you're, you're hibernating in some m- machine fuel where you just got things hooked up to your head and you're just, you're going to be on a breathing tube, but you're going to be in your own reality, not knowing the difference. Wasn't it called sing- singularity? Am I on the right page? Yeah. I mean, there was, I've seen a bunch of stuff like that. I don't know what specific one you're talking about, but yeah, most of it with the singularity there, there's been a concept that mathematically holds up when you look backwards so if you go back to like atari and then if you actually go before atari like there was you can see pictures and stuff online all the time there's like the phone in your pocket used to be like a computer back then but it was like the computer that like the size of a garage like if you look at like the computer that they originally used to like send people to the moon like this 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 huge structure of matter that's just physically big in size. And now it's that same type of power is represented by the phone in your pocket. So if you go back to like the Atari days, the, it was called Moore's Law. So every year the chip processing got 50% smaller and 50% cheaper. And that just kept happening. 
So it was like an exponential growth in terms of price and in, in terms of size. And the singularity is always saying, like the body and its um, its obvious deterioration of form, if you take it like piece by piece and you can say, okay, like your eye, like my eye at some point is going to start giving out or let's say I have an accident. But if you could give me a new eye and right now it's kind of at the level with the technology where that new eye is not quite as good as my old eye. But as you move forward and not very far forward, if something happens to your eye and you have to get a new eye, that eye could be better than the eye that you had. But then that creates a problem because if the eye is better than the eye that you have, then people won't wait for an accident. They'll just start replacing their eyes. But then that starts to go through like every part in your body. So there's like this version of humanity where like the technology is going to be so good that you're going to have to like go through a process of really asking yourself some ethical questions in terms of like, what are you trying to preserve in terms of your own humanity? Like what would you replace and what wouldn't you replace? And then how many things do you need to replace before you're not human anymore? Yeah, I see that. But two, the meta, the metaverse is coming too, as far as another, I mean, strikingly it's called something with a verse at the end which is kind of scary in itself uh, so we're creating yeah. another universe basically and calling it the metaverse what i'm saying though like comfortability wise like you're going to choose to go into the metaverse and stay in it 24 7 and put your body in such a comfortable state maybe in a I mean, with a breathing tube going down, just like in the break, in in the matrix, a super comfortable state to where there's no pain in the body and it doesn't age because you're in the metaverse and there is no pain there. And it's, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can fly wherever you want to. You can be whoever you want to type of thing to where you now understand your reality in the metaverse, as opposed to your body sitting in, in the real world just like the movie depicts in a way that the metaverse is your reality. Now you've made the matrix. Yeah. Like we talked about, they're making the matrix right now and people are going to start diving in there. But does it get to a certain point where the technology is so good in the metaverse that you go in there without pain can be in some type of a new earth can never be killed in the sense of human body and always in a bliss state and teleport anywhere you're you're in instant god mode but putting your body at rest here um just on super comfortable mode yeah yeah and that i mean that's the 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 development of the matrix is like the ultimate um we're certainly moving in that direction and I don't know what it means for 
like the possibility of understanding yourself in an awakened state. Like, cause the old way you would say that as soon as you get there, well, you would have to, you, you would have to at least like be aware of the assumption that you could be in that now. I mean, the fact that it, like it's going to be there in the future means a lot to like trying to understand, well, that's a possibility of where you're at now. But the problem with the awakened state is it kind of takes you out of that, that, that ego trap because you're able to connect with that oneness. But your connection with that oneness seems to be tied into the own the mechanism of your own body. So if you lose that tie to your mechanism of your own body, like I can see us like pushing in that direction. But if we do, I'm not sure like where the, where the mechanics are to like recognize who you are at that point. I'm it's, it looks like it's a trap that you wouldn't be able to get out of. And, and which is kind of what, they were saying in the movie, I mean, that's what they're looking for. The one they're looking for, like this complete anomaly, this one dude who doesn't accept the programming. Correct. But it, it looks like it would be something along those lines. Like it would trap pretty much everybody, but it's really hard to like, I used to think that, that understanding that there, we could be in a simulation now. I used to think that was kind of like a deep thought. And I mean, there's a lot of people who talk about that at extended links. And I'm not saying that they don't make intellectual sense because they do. I'm just saying like, from my point of view now, like once you have the awakening, I mean, something divine comes through you. And like, I don't know that that could be simulated. I mean, it just, it seems like, I mean, if that is also simulated, then I mean, at that point, I just don't have any idea about anything in the universe. But I don't see any way how that could be simulated. No, the only way it could be simulated is if the technology comes with the save state. You save your state, then you go into the metaverse. God. And <laughs> you are, okay, okay. You save your oh, state in the freaking bubble, cow. and then you're off to the metaverse. <laughs> that's, that's a mindfuck. Yeah, the save state. Thank you, Elon, and thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Oh, man. Uh, so they, yeah, because they, they are going. I mean, college. How could you save the state though? Like, I that might be beyond. I mean, just because, like, that's one of the thing. Like, one of the kryptonites to any system, any simulated system, there is a kryptonite there, and it's infinity. Like, how could you save the state of? infinite times infinite yeah i don't i don't know i don't even know if it's possible it's just a good it, it was a good punchline well, it was a good punchline <laughs> and you got me thinking but it's 
Yeah, because you could save the state, but I don't know. Like, the state. When when Elon's talking about a save state, he's he's saying that he can record the brain waves in that particular time, and then that recording you could have access to. But in the awakening and like the understanding of, um, you know, the oneness in the universe and your connection to it, that doesn't seem to be processed through a state of intellect that could be saved. Like if the state is saving like what you're feeling. And maybe it is. I mean, I would have to talk to Elon. I don't know. I don't know how legit his technology is, but I I don't, I can't see it like recording something in your heart. I can't see it. And maybe I just don't understand the technology, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's definitely like pre-orgasmic, like you can see that clearly. Like, oh, people are going to be like right on the edge and they're going to save that and they're going to walk around out in the world. Like, that's what that technology is going to. Yeah, but would there's going to be a really lot of want to walk around in that state all the time. I and mean, what kind of trouble would you get into? Oh, exactly. It's going to turn. <laughs> How could you? It's going to turn. It's going to turn a lot of people into a mess. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to turn a lot of people into a hot mess. I'm just saying like that state I can understand. Like you could save that because that's all just like a brain state that you could save. Yeah, I think it's different. It was definitely, I I don't know. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is your first two weeks in that state that you were in for the first two weeks. And I, I mean, there's not just brain a whole lot of shit going on there I don't, I don't yeah i don't know that that you can save that state i i mean i do does seem like it's going to come to the point where you can not no longer be tormented by your thoughts. And that seems like it can only be a good thing because the the whole ego is built on its own thought processes. And, um, it seems like we can only go in the right direction. If you can,